then when I find myself paying lower with the other worker, why? I have a lot of questions why I have to get different price for my, uh, my job. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Janeri. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Are you someone who wants to make positive change and work for a sustainable world? Do you want to wake up in the morning and feel excited about the future and the power we have to make a difference? If you're someone who wants to be on the right side of history as we co-create a new kind of world, then the Climate Optimist Masterclass is for you. I built this class to empower you to make small changes in your life that will have a huge positive impact on climate change. You'll walk away with the tools and mindset necessary to keep going and to enact change for yourself and for the world for many years to come. It wasn't until the day I realized that activism can be truly fun and empowering that my life changed for real. And I hope that you too feel like you're ready for this journey. So if this sounds like something for you, or if you just want to learn more, head over to the show notes and click the link for Climate Optimist Masterclass. I created a special link only for Hey Change listeners with a 40% discount. That's 40% discount, you guys, on an eight-week course that I know will be nothing short of transformative. Spots are limited, so click the link in the show notes to claim your spot today. I really look forward to changing the world with you. You may be surprised to learn that being a garment worker in LA does not exclude you from wage theft, sweatshop-like conditions, and human trafficking. Today, we are speaking with two advocates for garment workers' rights, Yeni and Nayantara. And this conversation is such an incredible opportunity to get an intimate look at what it's like to be a garment worker in America today. Yeni Dewey has worked in the garment industry in Los Angeles and Indonesia for over a decade. She is a leader at the Garment Worker Center, fighting for dignity and fair wages for all garment workers. And she's a member at CAST LA, advocating against human trafficking. Nayantara Banerjee does industry research and strategic partnerships for the Garment Worker Center. She's a former small business owner and pursued graduate studies researching labor and responsibility in the apparel industry at New York University. This conversation completely changed how I see the clothes that I wear every day and how the story of the women who make our clothes is a story that needs to be heard. In this conversation, we talk about Yeni's experience as a garment worker and a survivor of labor trafficking, the incredible work she and I and Tara now do at the Garment Worker Center in LA, how Senate Bill 62 could change the apparel industry in the United States for good, and what we, as individuals, can do to make a difference. Thank you for being here with us today. Let's dive in. Nayantara and Yeni, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being with us. We are really excited to talk about an aspect of the fashion industry that we, as consumers, often don't think about. And so the first question that I had was for Nayantara is, you work with the Garment Worker Center. What does that work entail? Great question, great place to start. The Garment Worker Center is a member-led organization and the only organization of its kind that organizes garment workers in America. 
We are based in Los Angeles, which is also the capital of garment production in, in America. 45,000 garment workers strong. And um, all, again, actually another about 45,000 workers that up support the industry that are not garment workers. And most of the apparel that is made in USA is made in America. Uh, and made right here in Los Angeles, sorry. But Los Angeles is also the sweatshop capital of the US. And a lot of our members are the low wage, highly skilled garment workers who are uh, making the clothing in sweatshop like conditions for wages that are paid pennies at a time. So the Garment Worker Center organizes these low wage, highly skilled workers in a few ways. One is by teaching them about their rights in the workplace. A lot of our members are immigrants coming from Central and South America and uh, also Asia. And we will uh, hear from Yeni a little bit more about her leadership at the center and some of the things that the center, um, that she's done with the center. But um, I would say one of our biggest programs that we have is the Wage Justice Clinic. And through this, our members, any actually any garment worker that is experiencing wage theft can come to the center and understand exactly how much they should be earning compared to how much they are being paid. And they're either we uh, help them file the case through the appropriate um, uh, state and county level agencies, or we refer them to a law practice that we work very closely with that helps them through this um, so that they can um, get back the wages that they are owed. We also have a really big campaign right now for passing bill called the Garment Worker Protection Act, which I'll be happy to talk about later, but it's a garment worker-led bill, and it's based off of the experiences of garment workers in this industry for the last 20 years. I'll pass it to Yeni, actually, if that's okay, because I think she could share a little bit more about what the center does. Um, garment, uh, as a garment worker, I, I find this organization, I feel like home. Uh, garment, work, garment worker helped me to file my wage claim case in the labor commission after my company that our work is closed. And that in 2014, that was I joined as a government member and learned a lot about, about uh, worker rights, struggling with the other government worker to encourage the government to pay about 400 uh, government worker who have won their case through the restitution fund that the garment worker um, also helped me to file my um, legal status through the labor trafficking case. So I was, I was the only Asian originally from Indonesia who worked in this industry. So when I when I threw uh, this uh, experience that I find that I only the Asian worker with the other worker from Mexican, Guatemala or Salvador, I feel this organization like home for me. For, uh, actually for, for, the, for the first time when I came here through the trafficking situation and jump up to the exploitation uh, situation in the garment industry, 
this organization helped me a lot. That's so wonderful. It just warms my heart to hear your story. And you, you touched on a few things about your background, but do you want to share more how you ended up being a garment worker and what's your story like and how has it been to be in this industry? After escape from the labor trafficking situation, I jumped to the small company in Los Angeles as a garment worker, sewing operator. I work uh, in the small company and that time I don't speak English, I don't speak Spanish either. I don't know uh, what is my rights. I don't know what supposed to be get the pay, peace rate or anything. I only work harder because I I won't I won't survive because I don't have no one here. I have struggled with the uh, languages that my supervisor taught me. I don't understand. That's very struggle to to be um, the only Asian in the in the Latino community, like in the in the in the company who was speak uh, actual with uh, Spanish people. I heard. I push myself to speak both languages, like English and Spanish, often because. I don't have choice to 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 struggle in this in this world. I don't know. So when I when I first time work in this company, I have to bring my own tools. I have to I have to bring my own water on uh, on table tower, and then I have to bring like a needle and everything. They and then pay me by piece right. Why I, why I have to bring everything? Because in my country, the company like garment company, they give everything like tools, needles, uniform, uh, food for lunch, and like like lunch food, and paper towel is already in the in the bathroom. But this here is superly extremely <laughs> different. Then when I find myself paying um, lower with the other worker, why? I have a lot of questions why I have to get a different price for my uh, my job. After I be a member in the government industry, I realized that peace red is very vulnerable to the exploitation because every single person is different price my experience is after uh, labor trafficking, jumping to the exploitation and discrimination in this industry. I don't believe this is big country in the world, big, big city in the world. I mean, like Los Angeles, right? I don't see this place is like Asian country who, who pay the cheaper worker, but in this big city too. I, I, I always ask why, why in this big country, in this in this big city, uh, garment worker treat like discrimination. We have to, uh, we have to be changed. The situation is unfair for the garment worker. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so glad that you found community in the Garmers Worker Worker Center. And that you, you know, are clearly are mastering English and 
you know, hopefully Spanish too. That's amazing that you've, that you've taken that on because yeah. that, you know, of course, like our, our sense of community to that sense of belonging is so important. Um, you, you mentioned the peace rate system, and this is something that I think is a huge misconception for consumers that if there's a label that says made in the USA, there's this assumption that if it's made in the US, then of course the garment workers should be would be paid fairly. If it's made in the US, of course the standards of you know the factories and the procedures and the cleanliness and the wage, of course it would be fair is what the consumer would probably assume. And that's actually far from the truth right now. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about the piece rate system? Um, piece rate is payment of the labor account of the part or division like sin. So they pay through the division that we saw. So we have to doing very fast and bunch quality to get the uh, money. Sometimes if the work is a lot, the price is down. Every single worker is different too, depending what the what the work uh, what the uh, employer they want to pay. I only I only get paid like one hundred twenty five for fifty five hour, and the the other worker get three hundred and fifty for the same fifty five hour a week. So, the piece rep is. It's basically it's exploitation because the payment method is unstable. There is no standard. I was try to find who's organized the the garment uh, industry to give the standard of payment. We try to looking for uh, the garment organization or the worker organization to talk each other to uh, to uh, discuss uh, standard of. Peace rate, but we don't find the, the organized from the company. That's the only one is we have to change, so we can get uh, sure every single uh, every single year rise up like the other uh, the other industry or the other department like the other restaurant or or the other worker to get every single year rise up. So that's why we, through the policy, to change this situation. So listening to Yeni's story, I feel like she is probably experiencing so much discrimination because of, like she said, she's from Asia. She doesn't speak, she didn't speak either English or Spanish. And so she was paid less money than her co-workers and she just didn't know what her rights were. Nayantara, I'm Curious to know, is this something that you see across the board? Like, is it the same story for everyone? And then also, is every factor in LA the same? Or are there better ones that we should look out for? And also, I think my final question would be, as a consumer, we want to be able to trust that if it's made in America, it's a good thing. But like, how can we get better at having that transparency? And how can we find out if the company is actually taking care of its workers? Not all factories are the same, but... Um, the sweatshops are so prevalent in Los Angeles that they undermine the efforts that are taken by more responsible manufacturers. And um, we, our membership is made up of, you know, low wage, uh, 
garment workers that are working at the like the smaller sweatshops that are all throughout Los Angeles fashion district. If you walk through the streets, if you walk into any building in the fashion district, there's usually a board um, and it will say una guja, uh, like a single stitch, you know, single uh, needle op- sewing machine operator, or trim, trimmy, you know, for trimmers, you know, the, the job market is, is, is very analog. And the other element that comes in here is that when workers are working and, you know, are aware of their rights and file a wage theft claim with the labor commissioner, either through GWC or through a legal service, what's often found is that the direct employer, often a subcontractor utilized through a manufacturer that was utilized through a brand, that subcontractor is the direct employer of of the garment worker. And they're often paid for the garments at a rate that is actually um, not compatible with paying employees minimum wage. So in a Department of Labor study, I think in 2016, found that factories in Los Angeles were receiving only 73% of the price that they would need to pay workers a fair minimum wage. So this is, you know, it's these dynamics that occur on the factory floor, and then they continue up the supply chain, right? Like when we're talking with factory owners, actually, many of whom are second generation garment workers, right? Um, they are telling us that they've been traumatized by the brands that are their kind of um, their clients, I suppose, right? But that dynamic is still very uneven. Um, and um, that ultimately, it, you know, of course comes down and it's garment workers who are paying that price. Um, but when brands that are trying to be a little bit more responsible and sustainable, which we, I, I want to say, you know, we do see that there are a growing number of sustainable fashion brands that are based in California and increasingly Los Angeles who are um, seeking out local production, right? They're committed to domestic manufacturing. They're committed to producing in Los Angeles for many reasons, especially when it's sustainable, they wanna have a little bit more access. They wanna reduce the carbon footprint. Um, uh, it's, it's quite beneficial actually for responding to consumer demand to have your production closer to home, um, especially as we're seeing brands that are moving towards more circular production models um, where consumption is happening closer to production. Um, but um, they are struggling to find manufacturers that will um, take on their lower volume orders and still provide the kinds of assurances that these sustainable brands want and that their consumers demand. So if you're a small brand, maybe you have a a, a big presence online and you're direct to consumer, sales are really good, right? You still are only producing, you know, a thousand items a month. When that big bad brand comes along and is like, I've got a hundred thousand pieces and I'm going to use this factory, your order first of all, it just goes out the window, right? And then what happened, what Yeni is saying is, right, then they're like, okay, great, this new order, garment workers thinking, okay, well, if at least I'm making piece rate uh, and there's a lot more pieces that need to be made, maybe I'll make more. No, they just reduce the piece rate, right? And you're paid less to do the same work, 
We're seeing this is happening even during the pandemic. Garment workers were paid um, piece rate to make masks. Millions and millions of masks have been made in Los Angeles, right? And that piece rate has gone down. Just, it's just through the pandemic alone. This is um, something that I feel very, you know, it's a challenge, but I'm optimistic because this number of businesses that are growing here and because of the bill that we are, that we are pursuing is actually addressing all of this. Um, and so when you ask, you know, how can consumers have a little bit more insight into how their garments are made or, or know what to, to, you know, what to be looking for? Um, and, and we're in the middle of a legislative session right now. Uh, and garment workers have brought the bill called the Garment Worker Protection Act, which is um, actually amending the first Garment Worker Protection Act from 2001. Um, that bill um, created what's called the Garment Worker Restitution Fund that garment manufacturers, when they registered with the state, had to pay into, they pay a certain fee into kind of acknowledging that there is wage theft, there are going to be labor uh, commission claims against employers, but there's going to be a pool of money to help pay out garment workers. That pool has dried up over the last 20 years and isn't completely empty. And um, two years ago, and now I think in 2019, garment workers went to the Capitol because they had been awarded almost a million dollars in wage theft claims. Uh, to be paid out by the Garment Worker Restitution Fund, but it was dried up. There was no money in it. And the governor of California uh, took aside some money from uh, his special fund and put it into to replenish the state fund. But again, they put in about $16 million and that's not, that's not going to last. That's not going to um, solve the problem either, right? So garment workers are saying, let's, let's, enough with like each individual case where we're bringing a case against our direct employer, which is the subcontractor, and then finding that there are loopholes in the law that make it so that the garment manufacturer isn't paying us, right? The, they're not paying us our fair wages. When we bring a labor, uh, wage, a wage theft claim, they still can't pay us because they have not been paid enough to begin with, right? And we can't, can't go that step higher to the brands, the brands that are responsible for this wage theft ultimately, right? And so let's close that loophole. And that's the Garment Worker Protection Act, which eliminates the use of piece rate, number one. That's the biggest thing. That is what garment workers want. They want to be paid hourly. They want to be paid a fair wage for their skilled labor. The second thing it does is that it establishes multilateral accountability in the supply chain. So that means when a wage theft claim is brought by a garment worker, and this can be brought, uh, evidence, it, it establishes some evidentiary standards, which mean a garment worker can bring a tag that says, I was producing clothing for this brand. And that counts as evidence because there's often very little paperwork that garment workers have access to, to when filing these claims, right? If any, uh, as Yenny is saying, right, you should have to bring your own toilet paper to work. You're certainly not getting paperwork that documents every garment you've worked on. But if you can bring that tag and say, this is the brand for whom I've been producing clothing, right? Then 
there is a process now for identifying where in that supply chain, as that order has moved from the brand to the manufacturer, to the contractor, and maybe to the subcontractor, where have the wage theft violations occurred? And holding the appropriate people accountable because as it is right now, what uh, we're finding with our wage theft claims, what garment workers are experiencing is um, uh, an experience called cut and run. They bring a wage theft claim, the subcontractor can't pay it. So they literally close their shop and move. And they re-register in a family member's name or in a different name. Sometimes they move down the hall, sometimes they move down the street um, and they just set up again and they continue. And this is something that like I've witnessed how I used to have a studio in the down in downtown LA and, you know, I, I on a month to month building and I just know, you know, how often I would just see one little sewing room move up, upstairs, right? Like, and it's just to get away from these wage theft claims. So garment workers were never able to get paid what they're owed. Um, but the Garment Worker Protection Act is doing these two things that are really necessary and, and give me a lot of hope because the brands now have a little bit more of an incentive, right, to manage uh, uh, their supply chains here. But they're also able to then know that one, every garment worker in a, in a factory in Los Angeles will have to be paid hourly, the end of piece rate, right? That means when they're looking for suppliers and when they're looking through their own supply base, they can at least say, yes, our garment workers are paid hourly. We're gonna be able to manage that. We're gonna have some more transparency into that. Right now you really can't, you can't assure that. And two, this upchain multilateral accountability is, is going to be beneficial really for them to have a little bit more insight and then to share that information with consumers, right? If you're, it's, it's common, we're not saying that you can't subcontract, we, we're not saying that you can't, you know, contract, that's, that's how the industry operates really, right? Um, all around the world. Um, you, when you're trying to be transparent about your first tier, second tier, third tier suppliers, that's a challenge when you're far from your production, but it's also a, a challenge here, right here in Los Angeles. And so um, this extra transparency that the bill provides is gonna be beneficial for brands and for workers and ultimately for consumers as well. I'm sitting here, I'm like taking everything in. I mean, I knew a lot of it, but just hearing you guys talk, it's just, it's shocking, honestly. Like you think that these problems exist in parts of Asia and other parts of the world, how I'm thinking of it now, because many people listening are consumers and like thoughtful citizens and they want to help support the right thing. And as you're talking, I'm like, okay, well, we, we support sustainable small brands. That's great. But then you listen to you talk and I'm like, okay, well, maybe that doesn't matter. But I guess it still matters, obviously, because you want to help them grow because the bigger they become, they have more power over the other ones. But that makes me so happy to hear you say that there is hope coming. And I feel like I think it's been too much focus and Aisha actually talked about this too. There's been too much focus on the consumer power, like versus, of course we have consumer power, but I think there's so much more power in being a citizen and helping make sure that there are new laws. And, um, you know, they just, we just need to change the system basically. Like this cannot be accepted in, in 2021 and in the 21st century. Like it's just absurd to me that this is still happening and it's such such a disc discriminating process of like employing people. And like, this is stuff that we are supporting by just buying clothes. Yeah, I find it hard to find words, honestly, to even like say how I feel about this. But 
I guess the, the question that's directed to both of you, because you're so powerful, you're so um, beautiful, like listening to you speak, it's just, it just brings a lot of warmth to my heart. What would you say, how do you feel about the future of fashion, being in the industry and working on the front lines of this movement? Like, how do you feel about what's coming in this industry? I am really optimistic that in the future, garment industry will uh, change the, uh, in the good way because I found a lot of uh, good company support us, like, like good company in around Los Angeles, California. And they won't pay, pay fair wages to the worker. They support us with this bill, then that's why I'm very optimistic. I'm quite optimistic as well. And that is um, really because right now I see more brands and more consumers turning to the people who know what is happening. And that is the workers, right? The workers, if you want to talk about sustainability, if you want to think about like what is going to make um, the biggest um, impact, even when you're thinking about environmental issues, right? Like the workers who are working in, in, in denim mills and dye houses and factories, they, you know, they are the first point of contact for all of the toxins, right? For all of the environmental hazards. So when efforts are made to improve their working conditions and to make sure that they are provided with dignified work, your supply chain is going to inherently become more sustainable. And it's just a matter of opening up your ears, right? Like opening up those pipelines so that workers are given a platform from which to speak about what they're experts on, what they already know. They are the experts of how this industry operates. Um, and um, I'm optimistic because I see that there is a, you know, a shift towards that. Um, and uh, the Garment Worker Protection Act especially um, is, is this, uh, just a perfect example of, of all sorts of you know, interested stakeholders coming together to amplify what garment workers are saying. And it's, so just to be a little bit more specific, it's Garment Worker Protection Act SB 62, so Senate Bill 62. And this is moving right now through the California legislature. Um, our, our bill's author and champion is Senator Maria Elena Durazzo. And she has um, a, a really glorious, wonderful career and, and comes from organizing labor. You know, she actually came from unions in garment industry before she became a senator. Um, and um, uh, the bill is, um, in, in some ways, it's considered a landmark bill. By, and I, I agree, I think it would be wonderful, but I, I also think it's just, it's simple and it's straightforward, right? Like we need, workers are telling you that, that they don't wanna be paid by peace rate anymore. Um, I will point out that the bill is saying no peace rate in favor of the minimum wage. However, you can still incentivize productivity by providing a bonus incentive that's done at a peace rate. Right. So if that's something that, you know, when when the piece rate is used in other industries, some folks 
you know, like that because it means that they get to earn more money. We're not saying you can't, you can't earn more money. You can, you can still have that, but the base, the minimum floor needs to be the minimum wage. So that is a simple question that may not have a simple answer, but I'll try to challenge you and see if you can answer it simply. Should we still buy things made in America? She's nodding. <laughs> Does that mean? Yeah. Do you, well, I wasn't sure if Yenny <laughs> wanted to answer that or not. I, I, I can, I'll, I'll share an experience I had that I think was really informative for me. So before I started at the Government Workers Center, um, uh, when I was in grad school and studying labor rights in the apparel industry, um, I went to Bangladesh uh, shortly after the Rana Plaza collapse. And I um, met with many different uh, garment workers and factory owners there. I met one uh, small factory owner. I, you wouldn't believe it was a factory. It was like behind an alley, behind a bunch of buildings. Um, and um, he, he had closed. He had to close because when the brands that he was producing for were responding to Rana Plaza, they ended all subcontracting. Um, just blanket. And so he had to lay off a hundred garment workers and they were producing clothing for brands like Tommy Hilfiger. And he had still a couple of boxes of Tommy Hilfiger shirts, like really nice button down shirts, you know? Um, and he was telling me, he was like, I'm really proud that we can make this quality shirt here. I'm really proud of all the employees I had working for me. And it's very difficult because they're all his neighbors. This isn't, you know, like the, the, it's com the community is essentially unemployed all of a sudden, right? And, he, and the one thing he really told me, he's like, I, I just, I want people to buy things that are made in Bangladesh because I, I'm proud of it. I want, you know, and like, it, for me, it changed things because I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought, you know, like I would be like, oh, I'm not gonna buy this thing that's probably made this was shut but um I, I think the when i apply that now to here of course we we want to encourage buying consumption of things that are made in america but we want that to be paired with um supporting the people who are making it right so really actively supporting legislation that they're asking for supporting them when they're calling out brands that have not been responsible um uh, you know, and I would pass it to Yenny to see if, if she want to add to that. Um, for, uh, for me, made in America is thinking about good quality, good quality. And then we are working in the basic of uh, standard quality. So we have to like, when I produce, when I work in the one company and produce the specifically uh, label, they ask me for standard quality. The company have to follow follow the quality. So uh, the more give pressure to the worker to maintain the good quality, but the company also pressure. We have to uh, get the quote the time that company has to ready for work. We hope we hope. Uh, the customer knows that even we produce like the the good label, the quality, uh, the quality of production, we get pressure and we just get paid for the same. It's not uh, it's not fair for for German workers. You know, hearing the way that the system has been 
and how unfair it is. I'm just so hopeful that listeners understand that the the systems that are in place, it's been designed so that we are fooled. You know what I mean? Like it's been designed so that nobody seems to have accountability. And this bill, the the am I saying this correctly? The Garment Worker Protection Bill, SB 62, that's coming up. That's something that people can vote on. That's something that people can raise awareness around and that that can make such a huge difference in people's lives. So basically, we need to have transparency. We need to know that by supporting and buying things made in the United States, that also means that these workers are treated with respect um, and, and dignity and getting the pay that they need. So I'm so excited to see where this Garment Worker Protection Bill will take us and we will make sure to follow it closely and keep us posted too. Um, and we'll also share some links in the show notes for people listening so that people can help support it and make sure it gets passed on. It's been such a lovely conversation. I've learned so much and I feel like I'm touched in more ways than one. Um, before we wrap up, we would love to just get to know you two a little bit more. So we'll do this. We'll, we'll ask the question and then you can both answer it like one at a time. So question number one is fill in the blank. I believe in a positive future because Nayantara. I believe in a positive future because every day I bear witness to workers who are working towards it. Love that. Yeni. I believe in uh, to myself. I believe myself. <laughs> I believe because I believe myself. I love that. Okay, number two, what's your favorite quote, Nayantara? Okay, I did have to prepare this one. Um, it, it's, it's a beginning of a sentence uh, from Audre Lorde's, the master's tool will never dismantle the master's house. Um, and it is without community, there is no liberation. Yanni, what's your favorite quote? I don't know. Uh, this is from my great grandpa. Uh, he tell me, he tell me that, uh, if you won't uh, break the the hard walk, like walk hard, you're not gonna break it for one time. You have to break it so many times. That will is success will be achieved by a hard walk. Mm. But, yeah, powerful <laughs> reminder. Yeah, that persistence, being persistent, and keep going. And knowing that you have the strength, but you sometimes have to do it over and over again to break the hard rock. Yeah. That's awesome. And that comes from your grandfather? Yeah. He is, uh, he is teller too. My father teller too. So my family is teller. Wow. So you're third generation. Yeah. Taylor. Amazing. Okay. So rapid fire question number three. Yeni, we'll start with you. If you could make one change in the world, what would that be? Someone find effective uh, vaccine for COVID. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the best answer so far. Someone, I want, if I, I could be find the vaccine like um, miraculously and then the COVID is gone, that's uh, changing the world one one time that I hope to. Yes. If I have power, if I have power, I I want the COVID gone. We'll yeah. give you that power right now. 
<laughs> and Nayantara? Um, if I could change, I would something in the I would just I would hope that we could all just slow down, slow down production, slow down um, in our you know day to day lives, and um, appreciate a little bit more what we have. Amazing, yeah, that's such an important message for so many facets of life. Just to slow down. A question, or sorry, a message that you want people to hear. So what is a message that you want people to hear? Yeni, do you want to start? I want the customer in the fashion industry, youngers or olders, want more solidarity to the government worker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I want to know the public that um, Living in this century, we still uh, pay by peace rate, stay in the in the exploitation. So I want to encourage the customer to to more solidarity to the garment worker. And my message is just to lift up and and ask folks to listen to the garment workers' messages all around the world in in solidarity with one another. The garment workers' struggle is not, of course, limited here. And I um, I, I think we all, um, even even me in my own work, I need to be listening more to the garment workers in Myanmar and Bangladesh and. Uh, Turkey, you know, everywhere. We just need to be hearing more of what they what they're saying. And just to add to honor both of your requests here, we'll ask the audience to please help share this episode to as many as possible so that your stories get to be heard. And then also to check out Remake and the Garment Workers Center because they have a lot of good like resources and movies and stories from these garment workers. So yeah, we'll 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 help make sure that these messages get spread. And support support SB sixty two. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Okay, well, we have one more question for you. Um, what does being an optimist in action mean to you? Uh, I uh, being optimist is being positive thinking, uh, positive way, so we can uh, fix uh, every single problem because the problem coming every single day. So being, uh, we need optimistic. We need optimistic. Then, uh, in in the good way, uh, uh, positive thinking. Uh, through this, uh, through this way, we can fix the problem. And for me, I uh, certainly agree with Yeni, and um, I think just finding finding ways to practice my values, um, you know, whatever that means, even if it's in small ways um, in community with um, Garment Worker Center, uh, with friends of family, um, virtual communities, you know, just finding small things um, that allow me to stretch and grow um, and, and expand my values, but try to find, you know, ways to put them into action, yeah. Oh, such great answers. You guys are just wise and so inspiring. And seeing you and listening to you talk, I feel really optimistic. And um, thank you so much. It's just been a lovely conversation. And we send you so much love and strength. 
and keep fighting the fight. I mean, right there alongside with you. And um, yeah, we hope to stay in touch. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much. We're so grateful to hear your stories. And I just want to say that, you know, we really appreciate the work that you're doing, both of you. And we really just have so much respect for you. And we're really, really grateful to know that there are people like you in our world who are standing up for the right thing and for people who have been taken advantage of and that, you know, we can support you in not standing for that anymore. So I'm really, really grateful to have met you today. Thank you. And don't forget to sign petition. <laughs> yeah. Are you someone who wants to make positive change and work for a sustainable world? Do you want to wake up in the morning and feel excited about the future and the power we have to make a difference? If you're someone who wants to be on the right side of history as we co-create a new kind of world, then the Climate Optimist Masterclass is for you. I built this class to empower you to make small changes in your life that will have a huge positive impact on climate change. You'll walk away with the tools and mindset necessary to keep going and to enact change for yourself and for the world for many years to come. It wasn't until the day I realized that activism can be truly fun and empowering that my life changed for real. And I hope that you too feel like you're ready for this journey. So if this sounds like something for you, or if you just want to learn more, head over to the show notes and click the link for Climate Optimist Masterclass. I created a special link only for Hey Change listeners with a 40% discount. That's 40% discount, you guys, on an eight-week course that I know will be nothing short of transformative. Spots are limited, so click the link in the show notes to claim your spot today. I really look forward to changing the world with you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to think about this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?